and open your Bibles to the book of Romans, and we are in chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we are going to read from verse 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. When you got it, say so. And it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for, you, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, thank you so very much for this day, for the privilege and opportunity that we have to worship and lift up the name of Jesus. Thank you for your word that is true, God, and we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Give us ears to hear from you, God. Give us hearts to respond to you, Lord. And we pray that you be glorified in the next few moments as we hear your word. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand. Um, and the ushers will be sure to come by and get you an outline so you can follow along in the introduction of the sermon. Um, also... So that way you are able to um, take some notes and then hopefully you'll be able to use this as a tool to help someone else grow in their faith as a disciple of Jesus. And as you're um, getting those outlines, I would just like to take a moment to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Can we give the moms a hand in this place? We thank you so much for all that you do. Um, as you have in your outline there, today we celebrate motherhood, women. This is what we're celebrating, y'all, women that risk their lives giving birth to us. Come on now. You know, there, there's some women that didn't make it, right? There's some women that didn't make it past birth. And so every time a woman, I mean, you want to talk about val being valiant, right? I mean, like having a baby, that's really brave to do. I mean, praise the Lord that I don't have to worry about that. But women in the house, you have risked your lives, right, to, to giving birth. Um, they, have, they gave and are giving their lives, raising us, and who know a love connection on a deeper level than a man may ever truly know. Um, I know that I love my daughter. I know that I love my son. I mean, I have a real deep love for them. I mean, I, I've, I've cried over my kids, and, um, and I feel that, that connection to them. But I don't know what it's like to feel a baby kick for the first time. I always remember my wife and I, we had a vehicle at, at the time when Alexis was um, in her womb. And my wife came home one day, and, and, she had, and when she brought the car home, the um, rearview mirror on the, on the left side, on the driver's side, was gone. Like it was torn off the car, and I'm like, what happened? And she's like, oh, the baby kicked for the first time. And I was in a drive-thru at Wendy's, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's what happened. And so she, you know, she didn't expect that, right? So she felt something growing in her that, 
you know, I'll never know, glory to God. The only thing I know is, anyway, I'm, but all I'm saying, right, like, I mean, really, I, I, I know what it's like to have a stomach flu or something like that, but I don't know what it's like to have a child growing inside of me and to, and, and to talk to that baby and to feel that baby in a connection. And so moms have something that dads will probably never have. And so the love of a mother is probably the greatest parallel for God's love that, we, that, that can be given. When you think about the parallel of the way that God loves us and the way that moms love us, I think that that's the greatest parallel. But, but I want to say this, God's love is still greater. God's love is still greater, more enduring, purer, and more powerful than the love of any one human being towards another. And I think we need to grasp that, which is what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to us. And so as we've gone through the book of Romans and, and we've come to this point, this is the ending part, right, before we move into chapter 9, 10, and 11, which begin to deal with Israel and God's dealings with them. But here Paul is, is bringing forth this last, it's almost like a poem, you know. Um, some people preach and it's like, they have, you know, three points and a poem at the end. Well, Paul did three, three chapters, and then he comes to almost this poem, almost this hymn of a reminder to the people of God that this is the truth about who God is. This is everything that has been communicated up to this point about what God's love is like, about what God's faithfulness is like. And so I want you to think about this. We may never fully comprehend the love of God, but we must be fully secure in it. We may never fully comprehend the love of God, but we must be fully secure in it. And so when you think about God's love, you will never be able to comprehend the depth, the height, the breadth, the width. You'll never be able to understand the love of God to its fullness, why God loves us when we are so unlovable at times. We may never fully grasp the magnitude of God's love toward us. We may never fully grasp how God loves us and the way that God's love is enduring, even through our moments when we want to give up. God never gives up on us. We may never understand that love. And sometimes, it's not about understanding it here. We may not feel that love, right? We may not sense that love, but here's what we have to be, is we have to be secure in the love of God toward us. We have to be secure in the reality of God's love toward us. And so again, the Apostle Paul communicates here unto us about God's everlasting love. And so the first thing that I want you to think about when we think about being secure is how can we be secure? And I ask you to repeat this after me. Say, precedent. Y'all were shocked, right? Y'all like surprised. They didn't know. Yeah, right? Uh-huh. Say it again. Precedent, Precedent secures us. Precedent secures us. And so what we have here is Paul, he goes through five questions, right? And, and, and their questions, four of them are who, who, and who, and who. He asks these questions. And he starts off, and so the first ones he's dealing with are based on precedent. The first two are on precedent. So what is precedent? Let me just lay this out for you. Precedent, by definition, is an earlier event or action serving as an example or a guide. So just basically, that's what it means. It's an earlier event or action serving as an example or a guide. And so the first thing we understand about precedent is what? Is that we have history with God. God, if we read our Bibles, God shows us. And again, I want you to remember, when you think about the way that God sets up his whole system of worship, one of the things that he does is tells his people to constantly be reminded of what? Be reminded of who God is. Be reminded of what God has done. And, and, and we walk through historical things. For example, the Passover, right, was one thing that was set up. We do communion every week, right? Because what? Because communion reminds us of a precedent in God. It reminds us of the gospel, which is the exact same thing that was supposed to happen for the 
children of Israel. The children of Israel were supposed to understand certain things about God. And so the day of Passover was one that was to remind them of what? To remind them of the deliverance, right? For those of you that were able to come and do the Seder meal with us, which I encourage you, if you didn't um, next year, if you've never been to one, I encourage you to come. If you've been to one, I encourage you to come. But just a really great time. And one thing that was funny was uh, my brother, you know, my, my brother, whether you don't know or not, he's half Jewish. And so he has actually had a Seder meal that is traditional Jewish, like Seder type meal. And the one thing that he said to me about the dinner that we had, he was like, yo, it tasted good. And it's funny because Hector, he also mentioned to me, he's like, yo, are we going like full on bitter? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think we're going full on bitter. My mother-in-law's cooking. Um, you know, she's one of the cooks. And, and you know, um, Sister Cheryl, she was cooking. So I knew that those two were going to, you know, they're definitely going to cook well. It's going to taste good. But here's the thing. The reason why they asked that question is because the traditional Seder meal is bitter. It's bitter all around. It's not just the bitter herbs, but it's bitter. Why is that there? I'm going to tell you what I thought about. I thought about sitting down at a table with a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid. You know kids that just say, like, why is this disgusting, right? Like, right? You ever been with a kid like that? You ever, like, you, you, maybe you were embarrassed at one moment because your child was like, this is nasty. And you're at someone's house, and you knew it was nasty, but you didn't want to say nothing because you grown, right? And so you know better than to say crazy stuff like that. Like, yo, this is disgusting. You know, so you just like kind of, can I get some water? Can I get, you know, like you're, you know, you're, you're like taking a bite, swallowing with something else. But imagine sitting at a table with your six, seven, eight-year-old child, and they're like, why are we eating this nasty food? Let me tell you why, son. Because years ago, we were in bondage in Egypt. And when we were in bondage in Egypt, we got delivered. God brought us out of there. And we're reminded of this because there was bitterness in Egypt that we always want to remember. And we want to remember God's faithfulness. And so that's the reason why we partake of this, because we want to be reminded of precedent. There's a legal way that we look at precedent. I don't know how, how many of you were able to see the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. That's the first time I've ever seen like a hearing for a person who's going to be in the Supreme Court justice position. And when I watched that, there was something that I noticed throughout the whole hearing. Every time they would ask him a legal question like how would he deal with such and such, he always had a, the same answer. He said, well, you would look at the precedent. Look at the precedent of those types of cases. You don't just make up law. You don't just, you don't legislate from the bench, right? You don't just decide, well, hey, you know, I feel this way about things and I think these laws should change. That's not the job of the Supreme Court. That's not what it is. What is the job of the Supreme Court judge? What is the, what is the job of the judge? The job of the judge is not to legislate. The, judge of the, the job of the judge is to look at what? Look at the laws and then also look at the precedent that is set because what? Because that's what governs decisions. We are secure because of precedent. So what does that mean for you? Just think about this, right? Imagine you going to court for a, for, for a parking ticket, and you go to court for a parking ticket. When you walk in there, you have no clue what's going to happen because the judge could be having a bad day and send you where? Send you to prison for 10 years over a parking ticket. You know why you and I don't fear something like that? It's because there are certain precedents in our law that let us know this is how the laws of our land work. You don't have to worry about that. That would be unprecedented. Hello, somebody. If you went to court on a parking ticket and they were like, you know what? You're going to jail today for 10 years. That's nowhere in our laws where whatever you would ever expect something like that. You see, what we have to understand is that the same thing with our God, is that God wants us to know what to expect from him. And so the first who question that the Apostle Paul writes, or, he, or, or what, he says, what, shall, what then shall we say of these things? He says this, if God is for us, in verse 31, who can be against us? 
Who can be against us? And I want you to notice something about this word, this who, this who, that continues to come. I want you to realize that it's not just speaking of a natural person, but there is an enemy that is against us. And so the way that this is actually written, it could say this, since God is for us, who can be against us? God has proven what? He has proven himself faithful. He has proven himself to walk with his people. And we learned last week as we went through the book of Romans that there are people that are foreknown, which deals with our past. There are people who are predestined, which deals with our present. And there are people who are glorified, which deals with our future. And so what do we know? We know that God has proven himself faithful. He foreknew us, and so we're secure in him because there are no surprises. There is nothing going on in our life that God did not know about. Specifically to us as his children, he foreknows us. And also, we understand that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Therefore, whatever we are going through in the present, we know that we can be secure in God's love because what? Because he has predestined to conform us to his image and to his likeness. And he says, those whom he justified, he does what? He glorified. He uses past tense words there. Why? The reason is because he is trying to point out to us the durability and the security that we have in God's work, in who God is. And so Paul says, what shall we say of all these things? Of everything we've learned about God, that we are sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. Of everything that we have learned about God, that we have died to our old nature, that we have died to the law. Of everything that we have learned up until this point, what can we know for sure? That, that we know for sure that no one or no thing can really be against us. We can trust in God because he is trustworthy. Verse 32 is the second question on precedent. He points out what the precedent is. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Now look at that. He who did not spare his own son. God did not hold his son back. This is the precedent. This is why you and I can be secure in the love of God, because God did not hold back his own son, but did what? He delivered him up for us all. He reminds us that God has done something for us that is, that is the precedent of the way that God is going to deal with us. He didn't hold his son back, but he gave his son up for us all. And then he goes on and says, how shall, shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What is Paul saying? Well, what, is Paul's, what is he saying here? He's saying, listen, if when you were his enemy, if when you were in rebellion against him, he gave his son to die for you, why would he fail you now that you're his child? You hear that? Why would, he, why would he abandon you now? He didn't abandon you back then. Back then when you were running from him, he didn't leave you. Back then when you were in rebellion against him, he didn't leave you. He sent his son to die for you. Therefore, he's not going to abandon you now that you're his child. Now listen, because you're suffering, because you're going through trials, because you're going through hardship, because you're going through distress, because you're going through difficulty, because you're going through that, you may feel abandoned, but that is not the reality. The reality is he's saying he didn't abandon you then when you deserved to be abandoned. Why would he abandon you now? Why would he leave you now? He would not leave you now. See, everything we need when Paul says he will give you all things, what Paul is saying is that everything that we need to maintain our walk with God, God is going to give it to us. It doesn't mean God is going to give us everything we want. We all know that. We, we all know better than that. God is not going to do everything the way that we want it to be done. God is not going to do everything the way that we think it should happen. But God is going to give us everything that we need if we do what? If we trust 
what his word says. We trust the precedent of who God is. The second thing is, say this with me, legality secures us. So the next couple of questions that Paul deals with is dealing with legal stuff, dealing, dealing with legal terminology. Verse 33, he says this. He says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who shall bring a charge? So that's a legal term. Who's going to bring a charge against you? Who's going to say, hey, you're guilty of something? Hey, you did something wrong. Hey, you're not good enough. It's, who is going to bring that charge against God's elect? We are God's elect people. We have put our faith in Jesus Christ. We are his children by the covenant of blood. Therefore, we are the elect children of God. Who is going to bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who does what? Who justifies it is God who justifies us. No one can bring a charge against you. No one can bring a charge against me. Why? Because God is the one who justifies us. What does justification mean? Again, it means to make us have a right standing with God, but in the implication of what that word means is that it gives us peace with God. It is God who made peace with us. And so because God made peace with us, we should walk in the peace that God has made with us. See, you have to understand this. The enemy of our souls seeks to condemn us. Are you here? The enemy of your soul seeks to condemn you. The enemy wants to make you feel less than. The enemy, listen, let me, if the enemy can do anything for you, you know what he wants to do? He wants to trip you up and cause you to sin and then make you feel terrible about it. Are you here? He wants to make you think of God in a wrong way and then make you feel terrible about it. Like God doesn't want you to come into his presence. On the, on the, on the contrary, though, God is not saying, hey, run from me. God is saying, come to me. He's saying, come to me. And so the enemy wants to do what? He wants to condemn us. Our circumstances do what? Our circumstances confound our faith sometimes. Are you here? Sometimes our circumstances overwhelm our faith. They overwhelm what we believe to be true about God, and they definitely cloud our judgment. However, what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that we have been justified by faith. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, you can write that verse down. It says that the handwriting of requirement that was against us, Jesus nailed it. God nailed it to the cross. When Jesus was put on the cross, the indictment that was against us, the charges that were against us guess what they were nailed to the cross they were paid for us and so no longer as children of God now listen this only applies if you're a child no longer as children of God you have to worry about the charges that the enemy would try to bring against you because what because you and I have been justified verse 34 is the second legal question he says who is he who condemns who is the one who condemns? It is Christ who dies. Condemnation again. Christ, who is the one that, that condemns? Who is the one who declares what? Who says, you know what? You're guilty. You're unworthy. You are, you, God, listen, God is done with you. No one can condemn you. Why? He, put, he goes on ahead and he gives us his gospel rundown. It is Christ who died. Who did Christ die for? For us. Jesus didn't just die arbitrarily. Are you here? Jesus died for us. He died for our sins. He died so that way we could do what? So that we, we could come to God and we could ask for forgiveness. And furthermore, he didn't just die. The Bible says he rose for our justification. And so he's risen. Christ is not dead. Christ is risen. But not only is Christ risen, but he is at the right hand of God. And not only is he at the right hand of God, the Bible says, and he makes intercession for you. Did you get that? 
You see, you and I have to be reminded we have died with Christ. We have died to our sinful nature. We have died to the law. We have died to those things. And Christ is risen. The power of the resurrection is operating in our lives. We now have new life in Christ in the same way that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us and in us and doing something inside of us is the same way that Jesus is making intercession for us. See, the book of Hebrews reminds us what? That he does what? That he li ever lives to make intercession for us. Hebrews chapter 7. He reminds us that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus prays for us to the Father. When you think about him praying to us for the Father, what does that remind you of? And you can write this down. Luke chapter 21, verse 31 to 32. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And in speaking to his disciples, he tells Peter. Peter's like, hey, I'm willing to die with you. And, and Jesus is telling him, listen, I want to let you know something. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He says, but I prayed for you. Are you here? But I have prayed to the Father for you that your faith would not fail you, and when you return, strengthen your brothers. And so what was Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, look, the enemy wants to sift your faith. The enemy wants to make you not believe. And the same way that Jesus interceded on behalf and he prayed on behalf of Peter is the same way he prays for us today. Are you here? God, don't let, don't let Aldo's faith him in this trial. Let, don't let Aldo's faith fail him in this trial. Don't, 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 let, don't let his faith fail him in this trial. Don't let, it, don't, don't let his faith fail. Bring him back. Strengthen his faith in the midst of this trial. Father, let, let the Spirit intercede for him. They're working in tangent to do what? To fulfill the purpose of making us more like Jesus. See, this is Paul's encouragement to the church as they're going through hardship, as they're going through difficulty. Jesus secured us. Listen now. Jesus secured us on the cross in the resurrection, and he secures us in his intercession for us. I'll say it one more time. Jesus secured us on the cross in his resurrection and in his intercession for us. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, love secures us. Love secures us. So we understand the precedent secures us. We understand legality secures us, but love secures us. So how is it that we can be secured in the love of God? Well, well we understand what, love, what God's love is. See, one thing that we realize is, and, and Paul, again, he starts off in verse 18. If you just look back to verse 18, and he says to this, and, and actually verse 17, look at verse 17 and verse 18 together. He says, if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And Paul introduces again this suffering, this trialed faith, this tried faith that the, that the people in Rome were going to experience. In a few years, the apostle Paul, unbeknownst to him, in a few years, he's going to be crucified. He's going to be beheaded. He's going to be killed because of what? Because of his faith. He doesn't know this, but he understands the, the way that things are, that this is, that this is a, a, a heavy time where the government is super strong. Nero is terrible. He understands that Christianity is not a legal religion. It's persecuted. Paul knows this. Why? Think about this, y'all. Paul was the main persecutor of the church. He was the main guy going around all over the place persecuting the church. So he knew what was ahead for the church. He knew that persecution was ahead. He knew the trial of faith was ahead. He knew what was going on. 
And so Paul reminds us of some things that are so very important. The last who question that he asked. And I, and, and I, I thought about this. I was like, man, why does he say who instead of what, right? I mean, it's, it's interchangeable, right? Who, what, in, in the context there. But he specifically uses this word who again. And he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? See, what we have to understand is that nothing makes us feel more alone and abandoned than suffering. Are you here? Nothing. Nothing makes you feel more alone. Nothing makes you feel more abandoned. Listen, when you're going through stuff, that, that is what you feel. And, and nobody understands what you're going through. Nobody knows what you're going through because they're not going through it. And so that's in your mind. That's in your heart. No matter what you're facing, nothing makes us feel more abandoned than suffering. Suffering is what? It is blinding to us. We must be reminded that no matter what we are feeling, no matter what we are facing, that none of these things are an indication that God has abandoned us or ceased loving us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes on, he lists things, not people. He lists things, and he says what? Shall tribulation, has shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. And so Paul goes with this robust list of things that are huge things. I mean, think about that tribulation, right? Like hardship, difficulty, the, 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 the persecution for your faith, distress, which means to be, you know, to where, to where you are pressured, and this tense, this intensity, famine, where you have lack in your life, Life, nakedness, right? Peril, sword. Like he goes through this list and then he goes on. And look, he doesn't say God's love is going to deliver you from those things. That isn't what he says. What, is it? what does he say? He says, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. Quoting the Psalms, we are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Here's what we have to recognize. The love of God doesn't always stop our suffering or hardship, but suffering and hardship never cancel out God's love toward us, and we must never allow that to become true in our minds or our hearts. The truth of the matter is, when we go through hardship, no matter what it is, when we go through difficulty, no matter what it is, you go through those things that Paul just said. He doesn't say that, we're gonna, that, that God is going to deliver us from those things. That isn't what he says. He quotes a psalm to remind us suffering is part of the life of the believer. That is just a reality. But he wants us to understand that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And look what he says in verse 37. He says this. He says, yet in. Say, yet in. Yet in. In. He doesn't say outside of. He doesn't say after. He doesn't say when the trial is over. He says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who, strength, who loves us, right? That's what he says. Yet in all these things. He doesn't say after these things. He says, in all these things. So in tribulation, you're more than a conqueror. In distress, you're more than a conqueror. In persecution, you're more than a conqueror. In famine, you're more than a conqueror. In whatever it is you're going through, you are more than a conqueror in that thing through what through him who loved us but the only way that we are going to know and understand what it means to be a conqueror in those things is when our hearts have been conquered by his love are you here until our hearts are conquered by his love we will never be secure in his love until we know that our that that our, that our father loves us 
will never be secured in his love. I was, I, I was meeting with Minister Juan, and we were talking, and he, he shared this story with me. I didn't ask you I was going to share this story, but I think the story is so amazing. He said he, he, his, him and his brother, they were, they were taking swimming lessons at the YMCA. And, you know, they do swimming lessons for a certain amount of weeks, right? Like, so there's a, like four weeks or something like that you do swimming lessons. Well, he said that his dad was like, okay, y'all going to learn how to swim after the swimming lessons. So, you know, his dad did. His dad took them to a pool, and his dad threw them in the pool. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about you, but when you have when when you, when a child does swimming lessons, I'll give you an example. When Alexa did swimming lessons, she did the four weeks of swimming lessons, and then she probably did another four weeks of swimming lessons before she actually knew how to swim, right? But she was actually confident. And so his dad throws him in the water. And when his dad throws him in the water, he's panicking, and he tells me that his dad is like, "Calm down, do what you know to do." How old were you? Okay, so, so, <laughs> so you're telling a little kid, right, calm down, do what you were taught to do, right, do what you were taught, because what, listen, Minister Juan is here today, so obviously either A, his dad jumped in the water after him, or B, right, he, he, he did what he was supposed to do, right, this is the thing, is that in that moment, I can assure you that in his mind, he's like, my dad don't love me. My dad does not love me, glory to God. As a matter of fact, I, can, I, can, I didn't ask him this question, but I can almost assure you that he has never done that to one of his kids. You ever done that to any of your kids? No, because what? He felt like that was an unloving action, right? <laughs> but the reality is his dad wanted to teach him something that was necessary for him to learn. And because I know his dad and because he knows his dad, he knows his dad loves him. His dad's methods may have not been acceptable to him at that moment, but it didn't mean that his dad didn't love him. It's the same thing for us when we go through stuff in our lives. It is not that our dad doesn't love us. It's not that our father in heaven doesn't love us. He wants to give us the ability to conquer by what? By his love in those things. That I don't just overcome it and get past it, but in it I am conquering his love. And then he goes on to say this. He goes and he closes it like this. Verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let those words just resonate in your heart. Nothing. 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 You may feel separated, but nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. God's love is durable. God's love is everlasting. God's love is steady. And it comforts us as it conquers our hearts. I'll say that again. God's love comforts us as it conquers our hearts. Through God's love displayed on the cross, in Christ, we, you and I, are more than conquerors in him. And so here's my question for you as I close. Are you secure in the love of God? Are you secure in his love? Are you sure that he loves you? No matter what you're feeling, that you know that you know, I'm secure. I rest in his love. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to rest in. He wants us to trust his love. And we sang this song to open up the service today. 
and it was, it's, it's a little bit faster than the one, the version that we'll do right now. But I asked Minister Eric to do this as we close this service. And it is this song that, that one thing remains. One thing remains. One thing. It's his love for us. His love never fails us. And again, we may not feel like his love is there. We may not feel that he is loving us, but his love is higher than every mountain that we'll face. His love is greater than anything. So I'm gonna invite you to just stand to your feet with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you to just bow your hearts before God this morning.